Welcome to LongTrailPodcast.com, a new series of podcasts about Vermont's Long Trail, the oldest long-distance hiking trail in the United States. I'm Ruff, and my wife, who is also my hiking partner, is Tumble. Today's program recalls my hike from Lincoln Gap to Middlebury Gap, a total of 17.4 miles over two days. Tumble dropped me off at Lincoln Gap, and I started down the trail at 8 a.m., the weather was sunny and clear, but it got warmer and warmer as the day wore on. I got to Sunset Ledge by 8.30 and took a very clear photo out to Lincoln and the Bristol Cliffs. On the way up, I passed two male day hikers who had obviously started very early to go out to the ledge. Ah, Vermont. I imagined being able to take a hike on the long trail before heading to the office. The trail up to the Mount Grant Overlook was overgrown with raspberry bushes, and I used my poles to clear the way. Thus it has always been in this section. I paused at the overlook and then took a deep breath and headed down to the hollow at the base of Grant. As long as I was in the shade it was cool, but the sunny patches were heating up. I had five mountains to climb today. Grant, Cleveland, Little Hans, Roosevelt, and Wilson. The ascent was tough at first, but once I got loose, things were better. My pack didn't feel heavy. About halfway up Grant, I passed a smiling young couple who were hiking to Canada. In response to their queries, I told them that once they cross Lincoln Gap, the trail gets interesting. The upper part of the Grant climb is absolutely beautiful. A fern-lined soft trail dotted with fragrant evergreens. I'm not that fond of the trail leaving Lincoln Gap, but this section easily makes it worthwhile. I topped Grant at 10.40 a.m. and again took some clear south-facing photos of the mountains that lay in my path. I could see all the way to Breadloaf. I carefully made my way down Grant and arrived at Cooley Glen Shelter a little past 11 a.m. There was no one there, so I propped up my feet and gobbled down a snack of tofurkey jerky and dried fruit. I had drunk about half of the water in my bladder, and I still had a long way to go to Emily Proctor's shelter, so I decided to filter some water. My basic rule is, filter when you can, and don't worry about what time it is. I had to hike down the Emily Proctor Trail about two tenths, where I remembered the small stream on the left that serves as the water source. The mosquitoes were having a rough convention, and I learned the fine art of batting and filtering simultaneously. Then it was repack my pack and hike back up to the Long Trail Junction. Mount Cleveland starts out with a very steep climb that I remember as being particularly treacherous to go down. It kept getting hotter and the bugs were beyond stirring. They were now becoming very interested in me and my blood supply. The trail was overgrown between Cleveland and Little Hans, which was once referred to in the Long Trail Guide as an unnamed peak. As I started up Roosevelt, I met another Canada-seeking couple with dog who asked me lots of questions about where to get off the trail, and I told them about the Hideaway Inn and the Millbrook Inn in Waitsfield on Route 17 that both accepted dogs. As we stood on the trail and conversed, the bugs were so thick I thought I was looking through a screen. The climb to Killington View was a tough up, and I made it to the rocky look-off by 2.45 p.m. I tried to call Tumble, but could not get through on the cell phone. On to Mount Wilson, my last peak for the day. Wilson is just as tall as Grant and was a difficult climb as the bugs kept swarming and swarming. Today's hike was no doubt the buggiest of the summer. I made it to the top of Wilson and then decided to take the side trail out to the lookout. 
since I had bypassed it on my two previous hikes through this area. I reached the lookout at 3.55 p.m., and the views to the east and northeast were expansive. It was well worth the extra steps, although I was really getting tired. I hiked very carefully down Wilson and arrived at Emily Proctor's shelter at 4.30 p.m. It took me eight and a half hours to hike from Lincoln Gap to Emily Proctor's shelter. An old guy with a gray beard was sleeping in the shelter. He heard me hike up and mumbled something I couldn't understand. Perhaps I was responsible for awakening the Green Mountain version of Rip Van Winkle, ripped and wrinkled. He finally was able to get out a few intelligible sentences, and I found out his trail name was Uncle Walt, and he was from New York City, had hiked the Appalachian Trail, does market research for a small company, spends many months of the year hiking, planned to hike up to Canada, and then walk back to New York City. His food bag was larger than my hammock and sleeping bag combined. I scouted around and strung my hammock about 50 feet above the shelter and 15 feet east of the long trail. It was a nice cozy spot. I then filtered water from the excellent stream south of the shelter, talked some more with Walt, cooked and ate dinner, cleaned up, etc. The mosquitoes were so bad I had to don my headnet to escape the incessant buzzing. No one else came into camp and at 7.45 p.m., I bid Uncle Walt good night and climbed into the hammock. As I lay there with my head at the north end, I could see the roof of the shelter and beyond the hastening sunset. It was a beautiful and peaceful sight that I will never forget. Day 2, Saturday. I slept pretty well and was up and out by 6.30 a.m., anticipating the climb up and over Breadloaf Mountain and the hike down towards Middlebury Gap, a total of 6.9 miles. Tumble planned to pick me up at 2 p.m., which I felt I should be able to make without having to hurry. I ate my breakfast of oatmeal with raisins, cleaned up, and took down the hammock and began to pack up in the shelter. A guy, gal, and dog came into camp from Breadloaf. They were with the National Forest Service, Vermont Southern Section out of Manchester, and were checking out this section of the forest. I packed up while talking to them and then said goodbye to them and Walt and headed south towards Breadloaf. I think I must have lost my pack cover since I haven't been able to find it. I started up at 7.30 a.m. and the woods were still misted over, wet and dark. I passed a solo female thru-hiker who had stayed last night at Skyline Lodge with the National Forest Service folks and was headed for Canada. The climb up Breadloaf wasn't bad and I reached the flat top in the fog by 8.30 a.m. The trail along the top of Breadloaf is as nice as any on the whole long trail, fairly straight and flat along the summit ridge with a nice soft path. The descent southbound was another matter entirely, fearing, featuring southern steep drops down slimy rock faces. Treacherous is the best description I can think of. It is one of the most dangerous descents on the long trail, certainly for the central section. I was very careful and used my patented butt slides several times. I got to the Skylight Pond Trail junction at 9 a.m. and continued up and over Battelle. I caught a view west through the trees and decided to call Tumble. For the first time on the hike, I got through on the cell, but there was no answer. I figured I was on schedule, so it was no sweat since she was probably at the farmer's market in Waitsfield. I hiked on down Battelle, then up and over Boyce Mountain, then down its steep south side, and was surprisingly quite tuckered when I reached the boy's shelter at 10.40 a.m. I stretched out on the shelter floor and ate a lunch snack. 
After a half hour of zoning out, I was ready to go get the last few miles. This was very familiar territory, and I moved along the Kirby Peak slabbing section, which was quite muddy, arriving at the Burnt Hill Trail Junction, which is the halfway point on the long trail, at 11 a.m. It was hot and humid, with very little of the western-based breeze getting through the thick canopy. I hiked along steadily, passing two young girls who said they had been out 14 days since Massachusetts and were heading to Canada, eh? Somewhere along this fairly boring section, a deer fly became attracted to me and became my constant companion. It refused all of my SWAT attempts, even the advanced moves I had been keeping in reserve. As a last resort, and on a fairly, for Vermont, flat section, I made a run for it and scooted along, up, down, and through the trail, hoping to fatigue the winged creature. Miraculously, although it hung with me for a long time, as I approached an uphill section, it dropped off in search of another victim. No rough stew for him today. Although I was tiring, I kept a steady pace and finally located the Silent Cliff Trail Junction at 12.42 p.m., which I knew to be only four-tenths from the bottom of the hill and Middlebury Gap. I made it out to Middlebury Gap almost exactly at 1 p.m., covering the day's 6.9 miles in five and a half hours. I sat on the south side of the road, admired the wildflowers growing next to me, and waited for Tumble. She arrived at 1.40 p.m., and I was ready for civilization. I did good, hiked through some great scenery, and all in all was very satisfied with my two-day outing. This has been a presentation of LongTrailPodcast.com. We hope you will return and enjoy future podcasts about Vermont's Long Trail. Until then, this is Ruff of Rough and Tumble, Long Trail End to End, 2003.